Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everyone. Do me a favor. Turn to somebody close to you and say to them, God loves you, and so do I. Yeah, yeah, because what I'm preaching about today might divide the room. So I need the men and the women to say they love each other before I preach. Okay, last week I told you, for the guests, I preached on Moses, and I spoke about what made him an outlier. How from birth until death and resurrection, he lived an exceptional life through the choices he made by picking his advantages. Then I told you that today, I'm going to use a woman in the sermon. Now, being somebody who watches a lot of YouTube, I mean like a lot of YouTube, sometimes I end up in the rabbit hole where information comes to my attention. In fact, I think it's the YouTube algorithm that exposes me to videos that put men and women at odds. In this generation, more than ever, there is a dichotomy, a tension that is real between male and female. You got the young people complaining, Pastor Henry, that Marvel movies have too many women this year. They're complaining that the, 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 the shows suck because there's a lot of sisters in there. What's my opinion? I don't care. I'm a DC man. But today, I want to preach on a sister who is so remarkable that during the pandemic, uh, I wrote a book on Solomon, that I was impressed to write about her, but I stopped because I felt unqualified to speak for the female. I might get my wife to write it, but first I got to get her to read. I want to read a passage of scripture that I believe the sister I'm going to preach on should be found. But before I do, let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I pray, I plead, that my personality and my approach may not rob this message of the power it already inherently has. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read two passages of scripture. I'm going to read the secondary one first, and then I will read the main one after. Get your Bibles out. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 32. Last week we read the passages in Hebrews 11 that related to Moses. Today, I want to read a passage that I believe this woman's name should be found. In fact, when you read Hebrews 11, there are at least three women that are mentioned. Sarah, Rahab, and Pharaoh's daughter. And all of them, the context is always overshadowed by the men. Look at verse number 32. Hebrews 11, 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of, listen carefully, Gideon, Barak, not Obama, Samson, not me, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. That's it. That's how the writer of Hebrews in this chapter concludes the list of people mentioned in the Old Testament who lived by faith. There's a name there 
that I'm, I'm, I'm okay that it's their pastor, but I feel that a sister was robbed of her honorary Oscar. And the sister's name is Deborah. Deborah, tomato, tomato. Sister Didi. Sister Deborah should be in this chapter because everything that Barak did was in connection to the ministry that God had given to her. But for some reason, the writer of this book does not add her name. And so, with all due respect to inspiration, I'm not saying there's a mistake. I'm saying there's a case to be made that Deborah's name should be in this chapter. And that's what I wanted to do in the sermon. Outliers, don't be a, re a regular, don't be regular. And the sermon title is The Queen with No Title. The Queen with No Title. And I believe that Deborah is a queen without a title. Let's read Judges chapter 4, the main passage of scripture. Judges chapter 4. Let me introduce you once again, or for the first time, to this remarkable woman that I am not ashamed as a man to celebrate in the sermon. Judges chapter 4, verses 1, down to verse number 4. In fact, I'll read verse 5 as well. The holy book of the Lord says, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord turned them over to the king, Yabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth, Hagoyim, Sisera, who had 900 chariots, ruthlessly oppressed. It's enough to just oppress, but he ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites. Not for two months, not for two years, for 20 years. They were under his thumb. And the Bible says, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Because why not? It's when we need help that we call upon his name. Verse number four, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. If ever you needed a role model in scripture, don't run for Sarah, don't run for Mary, read up on Deborah, and I promise you, young lady, you will be impressed. Let's get into the word for this morning. I believe that the crowning act of creation was man, human beings. Human beings were the most important thing that God created. But the crowning act of the creation of man was the woman. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7 that God formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the same breath that was in man was given to woman. It also tells us that God put Adam to sleep. And while Adam was asleep, God took a rib from his side and created Eve. We hear Adam uh, commenting about the form and the presence of Eve, but we don't hear Eve complimenting her husband. We hear Adam say, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, but we don't hear her say anything. 
Because she was the beautiful creation from the hand of God, a gift to man, not to step on or to worship, but to work alongside. When the Bible says that Eve would be Adam's helper, it didn't mean nanny. It didn't mean gardener. It meant in the areas that Adam lacked, Eve would fill up. She was his helper, his partner, his boo, his bae, his baby girl. And the plan was, pastor, that they would work together to replenish, to multiply, to subdue, and to have dominion over the earth together. But we know the story. Chaos ensued. When the man, instead of standing up and being honest, blamed God for the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, the serpent blamed nobody, and ever since then, there's been issues between men and women. Most preachers would not touch this. Because of culture, because of expectation, because he doesn't want the men to look at him as if he's promoting the women. But at the same time, he doesn't want to be a bully towards the women. But I'm not that guy. If it's in the word, it needs to be heard. It's not always that a man is the hero. Sometimes the sisters will take over. Amen, somebody. Woman. It's, it's, uh, it's, I think the Lord is telling me to stop using slides when I preach. Let's go freestyle. Let's go freestyle. In the text that we read in Hebrews, Deborah's name is absent. But when you go to the book of Judges, uh, the writer accounts. She is one of 18 judges in the whole book. She is one of 18 judges in the book. We good? Are we good? Okay. Let's talk about the times in which Deborah lived. Okay? Let's talk about the times in which she lived. Verses 1 to 3. The Bible tells us that the previous judge, who was a man, Ehud, has died. And as always, in that roller coaster relationship with God, when things are good, they forget him. When things are bad, they remember him. And being a faithful father, because yes, God is referred to in the masculine. Don't ever call God a woman. He is a father. A woman can be a father. I'm, I'm going to leave it right there. The Bible says that a king, Yabin, a Canaanite, the original inhabitants of the land, were not happy that Israel was there. In their times of obedience, God would give them prosperity. 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, things are good because they're obeying God. But when they disobey God, the text says the Lord turned them over to King Yabin of Hazor. And so because of their disobedience, God would use their enemies as a battle axe, as a teaching lesson, as a guide back onto the path. And so for 20 years, under Jabin's, Yabin's general Sisera, he ruthlessly oppressed the people. And I can tell you right now, when it comes to oppressing a nation, whenever one nation attacks another, which of the population suffers the most? Women and children. Do you know what the Assyrians would do? The Babylonians would do? They would take the able-bodied men and go and use them for their own service in their government and in different areas of society as slaves. They would take the women and children and they would be abused. The women would be passed onto the soldiers like cattle, like property, and all of a sudden, an Israelite woman would become the wife of an outsider and she would be forced to give up her faith and become what the man said. 
Now and again in the Bible, you have uh, people like Ruth who come from the outside and become a part of the fold. But what is not recorded is what happened during the times of captivity. Women were the victims. Human history is unfortunately filled with times when women are robbed of the spotlight. Do you know that in Egyptian history, the dynasty of the pharaohs, there were women? But what the men did is they removed the women from the record. In African history, there are times when women stepped up, when the men were not doing their job, but you don't see it in the history. Because as men, we are intimidated by women. Yeah, the brothers are looking at me like, go easy, man. Go easy. Um, I, I, I decided with Pastor Henry that from January to March, the first quarter of next year, something I have never done in the 10 years I've been in this place, we are intentionally going to preach on relationships. Every single relationship that you are part of. For three months, we are going to preach about it. So if you are uncomfortable, some people say, Pastor, why do you always mention marriage and relationships when you preach? The reason I do it is because that's the issue in this generation. Previous generations, the roles of man and woman were clear and they were doing okay. But in this generation, all of a sudden, there's a tension that nobody's talking about. The rate of divorce among God's people is so high because nobody's addressing it. And so we want to talk about uh, uh, the gospel commission. We want to talk about prophecy, but we're not addressing the issues in your home. We're going to do it. Not for three weeks, but for three months. And the intention is not to point at you and insult you. The intention is to empower you that God is able to take your relationship and use it for good. Amen, somebody. And so, Sisera is oppressing the people for 20 years. Let me tell you why the men became emasculated. Because a man's strength, generally speaking, is the things that he has. The stuff that he can have. A young man should not and won't think about marriage if he can afford to. But a woman can get married broke because her husband will take care of her. And so for these men... Yabin and all these other rulers would take away their weapons. So the men of Israel had no swords, no crossbows, nothing. And if you want to emasculate a man, take away everything he has and he will stop functioning. Take away his job. That is why I have a lot of respect for stay-at-home dads. That is Superman. Now and again, my wife will leave the house for three hours. Three, not three days, three hours. Just three I have to feed my son. I got to take him to the toilet. And the moment he says, Daddy, I want to poop, poop, I panic. I'm calling, where are you? I need to work. That's not true. I just needed to take over. The men are stuck. I want to say something about oppression. Because oppression is real even in this generation. This generation that claims to empower women. We have nations that have female presidents. Fun fact, during the pandemic, the nations that were led by women fared much better in dealing with the pandemic than the nations that were led by men. It makes sense. Because when kids have a flu, daddy's nowhere to be found. So why not? Oppression always comes with expectations. Sometimes the expectations are the oppression. Again, we may claim that we're living in a generation where the young girl is a boss, the word I cannot say in the sermon. But the truth is, the reality in the home is, there is oppression. There is suppression, 
There is uh, chaos. There's definitely tension that exists because the roles have not been defined. The man takes the Bible and says, I am the head of the home. And he uses that to abuse. But in the story, I'm going to show you that a woman became not the head of the home, but the head of the nation. Oppression always leads to expectation. So here are the three the three things that I can use to describe the world in which Deborah was born into. Number one, she was definitely born into a world that was morally deficient. The time of the judges is described as the worst in Israelite history. The Bible says that everybody did as they wanted. There was no king. The priests were not respected. Nobody listened to them. In fact, they were for sale. Nobody lived according to the will of the Lord. And so everybody was a law unto themselves. That's the world she was born into. And when there's moral deficiency, what follows is a male-dominated world. God said it. He said it to Adam that because of what you have done, not the woman, you, Adam, there's going to be issues between the two of you. That was not a punishment. It was a consequence. Because the moment sin came in, there was suspicion and blame and issues between them that carried over to their children. Two brothers. Two brothers. No one else. No friends. Nothing to compete over. They couldn't even get along. Why? Because there was issues in the home. So moral deficiency led to a male-dominated world. God is not uh, uh, the God who supports a toxic patriarchy. An expression I don't like. I don't like the, people say, oh, there's, there's an issue such as male toxicity. What they're saying is you cannot be strong and have a deep voice and muscles and stand your ground. If you do that, you are suffering from male toxicity. In other words, you got to be feminine in order to fit in with a woman today. Oh, no, I'm with the ladies. I forgot I'm with the ladies, not, not, not against them. Stay on track, stay on track. And finally, she was born into a military dictated world. Yabin, a Canaanite king, was ruling over them. It was so bad that the men couldn't travel to trade. They had closed them off. They couldn't go onto the trade routes and provide for their families. The men were left with no options. And in a male-dominated world, in a morally deficient world, in a military dictated world, a woman rises up and saves the day. She was not a prisoner of expectation. She was a product of excellence. She wasn't a prisoner of expectation. She didn't allow the expectations of the world to press down on her. In fact, when you read the story, you will notice she doesn't take uh, uh, protest signs and says women have rights. She doesn't do that. She does her role the best way she can, and she becomes somebody. Listen to this. Deborah. Judges 4 verse 4. Deborah. The wife of Lapidoth was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. Deborah was a wife. She was a prophet and she was a judge. If you want to talk about multitasking, that's it at its best. She was everything. Now, now and again, I get help in understanding a text a little bit further because I'm I am a theologian. I do study the text. I, I do go deeper. But now and again, you want to go to somebody who's been places you haven't in the text. And so I reached out to Pastor Henry, and I asked him, this verse, is that what it sounds like in the original? 
Because for me, it felt as if something was missing. Some commentators say she was a prophetess because she was the wife of a prophet. They want to rob her of her calling and make it seem that everything she was was because of her husband. But in actual fact, when you look at the original text, that's not it. And so I sat at the feet of the pastor. I didn't pay him anything, just good conversation. And this is what he shared with me, and I'm passing it on to you. When you look at the text in the original, in the Hebrew, and you translate it the way it is, raw from the text, here's what it says. Deborah, a woman, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged or was judging Israel, present continuous, at that time. Why is this? Why is this better than this? Simply because it outlines the story of her life. You got to see it. When we preached about Moses, we know where he was born. We know the names of his parents. We know the trajectory of his life from the slums of Goshen to the palaces of Egypt. We, we, we know the story. But with this sister, we, not, we know nothing about her childhood. We don't know where she went to school. We don't know what she excelled in. We don't know whether she was a, a better student than her male counterparts. We don't know whether her parents were abusive or not. What we do know is they gave her the name Deborah. She was a woman. She was a woman. It's 2022. Pastor, we have to explain what that means. We live at a time when woman has to be defined. In the Hebrew, it says she was a woman. So that means she was a little girl who grew up in the context of patriarchy. She had to follow the rules. She had to learn how to cook, clean the house. She learned everything that every other woman learned in the context of oppression from their enemies. But in the midst of all of that, the Bible says she was a prophet. Now, I'm not sure which came first, but according to the translation, it sounds like she was a prophet before she was a wife. Do you know who I respect in the text? Her husband. I, I, I don't know. If you're married to a powerful woman, president, CEO, what, what's that like? I, I don't know what's that like, but he, he did. Do you know what his name means, Lapidoth? It means torch or light. In other words, this brother was willing to shine the spotlight on his wife. He didn't hold her back. He didn't say to her, you are the wife, stay at home, cook and clean and do all that stuff. And I believe she was capable because the text says, Deborah, a woman, a prophet. This brother took a big, big, big chance. It's enough that when we get married to women, they have uh, what is known as the, the sixth sense. You know the sixth sense, Brother Ricky, where you say one thing and she gets another? Where your silence is interpreted as something else? Where sometimes she'll say, Do you, what, what day is it today? You don't know. You forgot its anniversary. But she wants you to figure it out until you get it. Right? The sixth sense. Now, can you imagine being married to a prophetess? Not only does she know the mind of man, she knows the mind of God. This brother is a real man. He's willing to accept that she's a powerful woman. I know this is not what you're used to hearing, gentlemen. I'm just as masculine as you are. But this brother was willing to accept. This is not an issue of gender. This is an issue of calling. 
As men and women in this building, each of you has a calling on your life. A real man does not hold back a woman because he's intimidated or because he's afraid. A real man lifts his woman up because an elevated woman will further elevate you. Yeah, I get it. The, the single guy is going to keep saying, come on. I get it. I understand. It's hard for the married man to say amen. Because it's possible that you thought about this just this week. Huh? The Bible says that she was a prophet. That meant that she received messages from God. And, and I, I want to be clear about something. Because people like to say this in a text or in world situations. When you talk about Christianity in China, they say the reason that women are leading is because there's no men to do it. I, there's a truth to it, but I feel like we are, we are disrespecting the gifts of women. Do I think that women should play in the NBA? No, 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 that's a bad idea. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. WNBA, NBA, let's separate it, okay? But when it comes to serving God, when it comes to uh, uh, helping society and raising the children and uh, lifting up nations out of economic chaos, it's not about gender, it's about function. God separated the roles not because the woman couldn't. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, how can we create harmony so that the home becomes the neighborhood, the neighborhood becomes the city, the city becomes the nation, and the nation becomes the world. And God decided, man, you are the head of the home, woman, you are the neck. So it's not about you are not able to do it. It's that it works better. When the world comes knocking at your home, the man answers. But when the world walks in, the, the, the beauty of the home has been created by the woman. Am I, am I dwelling on that a little bit too much? Okay. Let's talk about the trajectory of this woman's life. She started off as a daughter. She was a woman. God called her to be a prophet. He trusted her. God even trusted her to be a wife. And not only was she a prophet who lived in obscurity away from the people and would now and again come and give a word from God and disappear like Elijah. Oh no, she was there. She was always there to the point that she became a judge. I know that as I'm speaking, you, you might be struggling to see that world. But I want you to understand, it was unusual for a woman to do that. The Bible says that Lot sat at the gate, not his wife. Not his wife. It was Lot, the man. But in this story, Deborah was such a great judge that a place is named after her. During her time. She sat in a place called the Palm of Deborah. She did such a good job, a place was named after her. I have a sermon series I'm working on that's entitled, How to Get a Place Named After You and Why It Shouldn't Matter. We'll talk about that. Hustle culture. Okay. Consistency in the home front equips you to stand on the front lines. Consistency in the home front allows you to stand on the front lines. What does that mean? Do not ever... I don't care what the YouTubers say. I don't care what the TikTokers say. Do not ever take for granted what happens in your home. If you fall in love with your job more than your spouse and your children, if your business gets your time, your health and attention more than the people that God has placed in your life, I promise you what goes around will come around. One day you'll be caught fighting for the things that you have when one of you is taking half and the other is taking another half. That's what you worked for. Because you didn't take care of the home front, the front line suffers. 
A couple, a family that is not functioning well in the home will struggle in society. You will sit and get an award for the work you're doing, but your spouse will be absent. Maybe she's sitting there, but she has tears in her eyes. People will think it's tears of appreciation and pride, but instead it's tears of shame and guilt and sorrow. The world loves him, but doesn't know who he is. The world loves her, but doesn't know who she is. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Let me give you a snippet of what's going to happen in 2023. I couldn't help it. There are five stages or levels of a relationship. And I want to show you the level that Lapidoth and Deborah had reached in their relationship. Because I can tell you now, Deborah spent more time outside the home than she did, than any other woman did. Here's what a relationship looks like when it begins. At the beginning, there's perfection and consideration. When you're late, she doesn't mind. She's just happy you showed up. Hashtag relationship goals. Oh, you can't do anything wrong at the beginning of the relationship. Everything is perfect, right? I remember when I, got, when, when I was dating my wife, she never ever complained about how I chew. Not once did she ever mention that she doesn't like how I chew or the fact that I eat fast. I know, Ricky, I eat fast. I'm the kind of date when I'm done, I'm tapping my fingers on the table waiting for you to be done. That's my vibe. Never complained because I was perfect and she was considerate. And most people, unfortunately, if they rush into it, they immediately get married because the romance is so good. Like Samson said, mom, dad, she pleases me. And you get into it. Then comes the second stage. It's called peace and compromise. Nope, that's not it. I messed it up. Ah, oh, I messed it up. The third one is number two, and number two is number three. Okay, work with me. What comes after perfection and consideration is power and conflict. All of a sudden, you remember, I'm a woman, he's a man. My needs are different from his. So my needs come first. And he's thinking, I'm the man, do as I say. And so there's a power conflict that's happening. For some couples, it happens during the dating. And if they're not careful, they take it into the engagement. There's power. That's reality. Men and women don't see things the same. The love language is different. The emphasis is different. The things that get your attention are different. But most couples are not mature to understand that. And so there's a power struggle. Some force it and they continue to the next stage. Either we're going to have peace because we figured out that we're different or we're going to compromise and pretend everything's okay. And many marriages are stuck on peace and compromise because rather than addressing it, it becomes easier to ignore it. I get it. That's life, that's reality. Some couples survive and they go to the fourth stage. They get to a place of paradise and commitment. I don't care how he chews. I don't care that she talks in her sleep. I don't care that he leaves his socks by the door. I know the good things about him or about her and I'm going to make it work. That's stage number four. You think that's the end of it. But for the believer, there's a fifth one. And I tell couples all the time when I'm counseling them, work your way backwards. Reverse engineer your relationship. Start with purpose and community. How can my partner help me achieve my purpose, my goals? Am I qualified? Am I compatible to be married to an accountant, a doctor, a CEO? Do I fit in that environment? What can I offer? And many, I'm sorry, few couples ever get to stage number five, or at least work with stage five in mind, 
Instead, each of us is fighting for our cultural identity. In my home, this is what a woman does. In my family, this is how a man behaves. And so there's a tension between history, the present, and a future that doesn't exist. But in Deborah's home, her husband understood, my job is to shine the spotlight on you. Number one, because God has called you to be a prophet. Number two, because God has called you to settle the disputes among the people. No men were doing it, but she was. And she got approval from the community. She didn't force herself on the community. Listen, the Bible says she would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Ramah and Bethel were considered the, at the time, the places where God was recognized, God was worshipped. And she sat right in the middle. Because ladies, when you sit and worship God, things get better in your home. Things get better in your home when the wife prays, when the wife holds it together, when a man is overwhelmed, but rather than sticking a finger in his face and calling him a loser, instead she prays for him. When he's sitting down and calculating the bills, she stands behind him and holds his shoulder and says, honey, it will be okay. I'm praying for you. That's a man who will stand up and be somebody. So Lapidot said, go ahead, baby girl, do your thing. I know you got it. People would come to her. Couples would come to her. Men would come to her. Young and old, they'd come and talk about money issues, relationship issues, political issues. All their fears, they laid them at her feet. And Sister Deborah, by the way, her name means bee. Beyonce is not the queen bee. Deborah is. She is the original queen bee. That should have been the title of the sermon. Ah, note to self. Number five, one more role she got to play. She, she was so good in her home. She was so good in her neighborhood that God said, I'm not done with you just yet. Judges chapter five, verse seven, the Bible says, this is a song of Deborah and Barak. And the songs in the, one of the words says, there were few people left in the villages of Israel. You know, you know what that means? That because of the oppression, some people were leaving. They couldn't handle it anymore past. It was, it was difficult. But this sister never forced her husband to relocate her to another country because things were bad. She didn't say, let's go to Singapore. No, she's like, we're going to stay right here and we're going to be the change that we want to see. See, Deborah is the kind of wife who doesn't leave a church because she doesn't like another woman. Deborah is the kind of woman who's not uh, uh, intimidated or jealous when she sees her husband talking to another woman. She was okay with it because she was confident in herself. She said, we're not going anywhere. We're going to make a difference until she qualified to be called the mother of Israel. I don't know whether she had children. Uh, the, the text doesn't tell us. Uh, I can speculate that she did or she didn't, but there's no evidence that she had her own children. Let, let me play with this a little bit. And I, I, I don't want to step on anybody. I don't, I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. But let's assume, Pastor, that she didn't have children. Let's assume she didn't have children. She didn't let that stop her from being a woman, a wife, a prophetess, or a judge. In fact, I assume that if not having kids, it allowed her to do more in a shorter period of time. Let's pivot. We've spoken about her in her sphere of influence, in her comfort zone. She's an outlier, but she doesn't stop there because for her, it's not enough that she's helping her people in the midst of oppression. She wants to get rid of the oppression. Listen to the statement. Outliers don't believe in putting a Band-Aid on a cracked wall. Do you understand what that statement means? That there are some people who are not willing. Maybe they don't have the willpower. 
the faith, the courage, or the desire to confront the real issues in their life. Not Deborah. She understood it's not enough for me to be helping people with their everyday problems when I know what the real source of the problem is. She understood that the presence of the Canaanites, the presence of the general Sisera for 20 years, that was the problem. And so in her prayer life, God spoke to her and he told her that, listen, it's time. You've done such a good job as a wife. You've done great as a prophetess. You've done great as a judge. But now I want you to lead the armies of Israel. And this is where men get tested. It's one thing for a woman to do a, her job well in her area, but it's another for her to take over. Let's read the text. Judges 4 verse number 6. The Bible says one day she sent for Barak. Sister Lydia, that's how much power she has. She didn't go to him. Oh no, she sent somebody to go call him to come to her. That's gangster. She sent somebody to call him. And Barak, I'm going to tell you right now, he's a good man. He's a good man. You're going to see it. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. See, I like, I like what she did. She could have done what most women do and say, I'm the judge. Do what I'm telling you to do. She could have used that moment to step on the patriarchy. But she didn't. She kept speaking for God. She said to him, God has told me to tell you that it's time. Get 10,000 warriors. I will call out Sisera. In other words, that God was going to provoke Sisera. When it, when it comes to, again, like I said, please forgive me. I, my personality is flawed. God's not done with me just yet. When it comes to relationships, I find that women are more uh, talented at provoking men than the man is at provoking the woman. Don't nod your head. Don't agree with me. Just tap your foot twice. Right? And so she uses that language. We're going to provoke Sisera. All these years, he has never seen the men gather together. He has never seen them stand up for something. But now, gentlemen, I need you to step up and be men. I will call out Sisera, commander of Yabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. See, not only do women understand the fragile character or personalities of men, even God understands it. And so God is going to provoke Yabin. He's going to provoke Sisera. How does he do it? Around the Kishon River, was a, it, it's in a valley. And so there's a space of ground where the people can have a battle. They can fight. And so what God wants them to do is go to the banks of the Kishon River. Now, can you imagine trying to drive chariots onto the mud? That's not a good idea. But see, Sisera is an egotistical man. He's a general. He's a man's man. And so he hears that this lily-livered, namby-pamby people have decided to stand up against him because a woman said so. And so they go to the Kishon River, and as gossip goes, somebody tells him that, hey, the men are gathering, and they're being led by a woman. And Sisera, without thinking about military strategy, rushes over and addresses the issue. But before we get there, let's talk about what happens next. Deborah, ladies, here's a tactic I want to share with you as a man and as a husband. If you want to get things done, don't impose, just expose. Here's what she did. 
She never imposed on them her authority. She exposed them to her authenticity. Since she began to have the spotlight on her, all Deborah did was be real. That's all she did with individuals, with families, with couples, and now with the nation. And that's why Barak was not only willing to listen to her, he was willing to follow her. Not because she said so, but because he saw leadership in her. Listen to what he said. Barak says to her, Barak's a soldier. He's a man. He says to her, I will go, but I'll only go if you come with me. Let me try over here. This man is willing to follow a woman into the battlefield. This man is willing to listen to a prophetess. You see, the people didn't even listen to the male prophets. But this man knows she has what it takes to lead us. And so Barak says, I will follow you. Some preachers, some commentators, some female preachers have interpreted this as weakness. They look at Barak and say, yeah, he's a coward. He has no faith. He can't stand on his own. But again, that's an insult to women. Listen, he welcomes a presence, not because he's a weak man, but because she's a strong woman. That's what attracts him. He's not looking at himself. He's looking at her and saying, you know what? I, I can be uncomfortable with this matriarchy issue, but the truth is she's the person that God has called. True outliers are people who recognize the call in other people's lives. True outliers are people who are willing to be led by somebody who has a calling. It doesn't matter if you're younger. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter where you come from. If God has given you a call, allow him to use you. Very well, she replied. I will go with you. But here's the thing. You are not going to receive the honor. A woman... Okay, Sisera is going to be destroyed by a woman. The Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. And then the text says, so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, which means he was okay with the woman getting the credit. I'm speaking to fathers here to empower their daughters. I'm speaking to husbands to empower their wives. I'm speaking to the church to recognize the value of women is not just taking care of the kids in the kids' room. There are ladies who have gifts that are sitting on them because culture has said, let the man talk. And it's killing the church. Do you realize that there are more women in any given church than men? There's a reason for that. So, the Buddha goes with Barak to the battlefield. In other words... And this is going to trouble a lot of people. Deborah became the head while Barak was the hand. Because sometimes the woman will be the head and the man will be the hand to get it done. Because it wouldn't have made sense for her to be on the battlefield. But it made sense for her to encourage the soldiers. Because Barak knew, I cannot speak to 10,000 men on my own. I need you there. I need you to do the motivational talk. I need you to get them fired up. And so she does the talking. He did the fighting. There are homes like that. There are homes where the woman brings the bacon. She's the one making the money. She's the one with the influence. She's the one with the extroverted character to speak while the man is quiet. But I want to be clear, ladies. Just because he's quiet doesn't mean he's a man. Sometimes strength comes in silence. Meekness is not weakness, but strength under control. So if you're married to a quiet man, don't call him a beta. 
He could be quiet because he can control himself. Amen, gentlemen. Because I'm losing the brothers, man. Pastor, oh, the, the girls in the church, we, we're scared to date them. Why? Oh, they got, they, they're career-minded and they wear expensive clothing. I'm like, dude, she doesn't care about that. She just wants a man in her life. And if you can man up, she'll marry you whether you're a janitor or not. Ladies, am I correct? <laughs> Y'all fell into that so quickly. Oh, they want kings with titles. That is so true. Deborah married a torchlight. She didn't marry a floodlight. Sisera, the Bible says, I'm cutting the story short. They fight the battle. Cheris gets stuck in the sand. God intervenes. He causes chaos. And the army of Sisera is losing the battle. Sisera jumps off his horse and runs away. He heads over to the house of a friend. He heads over to the house of a friend. I'm almost done. Verse 17, and the Bible says, the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak. Sisera lighted down from his chariot and fled away on his feet. The man jumped off the, the vehicle, the vehicle he depended on. The 900 iron chariots he depended on were not helping him right now. Because gentlemen, a time will come when your money and your power and your influence can't save you. He gets off the chariot and he runs on foot towards the house of a friend. He gets there. The friend is not there, but the friend's wife is there. The woman's name is Jael or Hael. He finds her. Where's your husband? I need help. My husband's not home, but I'm here. And so the story says that she invites him in. Because whenever has a woman been threatening... He goes into the home thinking, I found a place I can hide. Pause. Hayal and her family, at least her husband, was friends with King Yabin. And so by extension, Sisera thinks, because they are friends with King Yabin, then they'll get me covered. They'll protect me. And so he comes into their home. Husband is not home, but the wife is. And so this is what he says to her. He says to her, please give me some water. I'm thirsty. Now, Again, we don't know much about Hayam. She's not Deborah. She's unknown. She's a housewife. We don't, she's not a judge. She's not a prophetess. She's just a housewife. When I say just, I don't mean it as less than. I mean compared to Deborah. She's a housewife. No titles. No place after her name. She's just an ordinary person. Sister thinks because the husband is a friend of the king, the wife has no choice but to follow. You know, I've seen this play out, and it's so funny, that when husbands are friends, it's harder for, the, to, for them to get their wives to be friends than it is for wives to get their husbands to be friends. Is, is, is that a fact, married people? Or is it easy? Oh, guess what? This is uh, uh, my friend's wife. Uh, you guys go do lunch together. Nah, that's not easy. That's not easy. And so Hayel is silent. I don't know whether the Holy Spirit speaks to her, I don't know whether she's always had a problem with the oppression of God's people. Like most women, I think she was silent, but she had an opinion, and she sat on it for a long time. Here comes this oppressive general into her home. And having the gift of a woman, all of a sudden she becomes nice and welcoming. Oh, come in, come in, sir, come in, please come in. You want some water? Forget the water. I'm going to give you milk. Because every woman knows a warm glass of milk and cookies will put a man to sleep. She gives him milk instead of water. She covers him. 
He's like a baby. She covers him with a blanket so he can rest. He feels at peace. He thinks he's safe because he's in the presence of a woman. The Bible says that he asks for water, she gives him milk, and then he instructs her. He says to her, stand at the door. If somebody comes, tell them I'm not here. He is telling this woman what to do in her own house. The same way preachers do when they get up here and they're telling you wives how to treat your husbands. He's doing the same thing, telling her what to do. She says, yes, master, I'll, I'll definitely do that for you. He falls asleep. The Bible says, help me out, it's, it's, it's pausing again. Oh, Lord. Okay. The Bible says that she takes a tent peg. Any, any, anyone here been camping? Any campers in the building? Just raise your hand if you've camped before. Ooh, 30 people. Okay. The tent peg is very thick. It's long. And the text says she takes a tent peg with a hammer. And while he's sleeping, she puts it in his temple. Because apparently this general sleeps like a baby like that. She takes the tent peg and puts it in his temple and she nails his head into the ground and he dies. He thought she was a woman. He thought she was weak. He thought she would support him because of her husband. But no, she had an opinion. She had her own thoughts. And she did for Israel what the men couldn't do for 20 years. You see, when Deborah said a woman is going to do it, Barak thought she meant herself. But oh no. God will use the CEO woman. God will use the accountant. God will use the female doctor. But God will also use the stay-at-home mom. Amen, somebody. It doesn't matter. It's not about gender. It's about availability. It's not about what society says. It's what, it's what God deposits inside of you. But I caution you. Learn to use your gifts to build up the family, not break it down. Don't lord it over your husband that you've come into the marriage with wealth from, from your family. Don't do that. Empower your husband so that you can become that level five couple that focuses on purpose and community. Deborah is special, not just because of herself, but because her husband helped and empowered her. And she did good. Hayal, in spite of her husband, said, I'm going to do something for the Lord. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 5, she was honored above all the women in Israel because she did something that the men weren't able to do. So as they play, I'm praying now. I'm praying now. I want to speak to the young ladies, the young girls who are coming up in this generation. There's too much content coming at you that's making you not want to listen to your father because the patriarchy is evil. There's so much stuff coming at you. That if you got a career, you can't get married because you can't balance both. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Strike an equilibrium between your home, your children, and your job. Your job doesn't have to draw you apart from your husband. Amen, ladies. Don't be with somebody that slows you down if you're single. If you are the man that is oppressing you now, that's treating you like Sisera, I don't suggest you go further. Amen. Do you understand what this woman did? Do you, you understand in those days that the women were the ones who pitched the tent? Not the men. They took the water. They cut the wood. They set up the home. Talk about running the home literally. So where she found how to nail is because she'd done it before. 
Maybe sometimes when her, her and her husband had a fight, she would go in the, in the night like what some of you do with the pillow and I can smother you right now. Maybe she was practicing on her husband and she did it to this guy. I don't know. All I know is that God used her in a powerful way and I'm here to say, young lady, mom, grandma, God can use you just as powerful. I want to ask if there's any fathers in the room. If your daughter's close to you, can you please stand with her? Any fathers in the room? If you're with your daughter, please stand with her. Get your daughter come to the front. Don't, don't be uncomfortable. Don't be shy. Get your daughter come to the front. Get your daughter and come to the front. Do you know that I wanted a son? I'm, I'm sorry, I wanted a daughter. I was praying for a daughter. But I think my, my wife's prayers are stronger than mine. God gave us a son. And I love him to death. I love him to death. Father, daughter. Any other fathers and daughters? Ooh, we need more fathers and daughters in this room. Pastor, that's a ministry right there. More fathers and daughters. Okay. Any couples? Husband and wife. Willing to come to the front. Any couples? Oh, here we go. Ah, done. I see you. I see you. Any couples willing to come to the front? Husband and wife? A husband who says, honey, I'm standing by your side because pastor is about to pray for you. Anybody like that willing to come to the front? Okay. We got the whole family now. More daughters. How dare you come with one daughter when you have three? Okay. There's a couple willing to come to the front. Go ahead. Keep playing. Keep playing. Keep playing. Uh, uh, from now onwards, uh, we've agreed to pastor. We need to be very specific when we pray. I cannot cover everybody. So today I'm doing this. No more couples. That's it. No more couples. I'm going to cover them next week. It's about the married people today. Any engaged couples? Any engaged couples? You're preparing for marriage. Families are getting ready to let you go. Any young lady, you are not a wife. Probably your dad's not here. But you're saying, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I'm at a transition stage of my life where I got to pick a career. I got to pick a life partner. I got to pick a calling. If that's you, come to the front. Come join the other young ladies. I'll be your surrogate dad today. Come to the front. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Any lady saying, I, I, I want to be Deborah. I want to be a woman that God can use. I don't know what that looks like. Okay, guys, uh, everybody's congregating to the side. Just, just cross over. There's a space right here. There's a space right here. There's a space right here. Everybody else, heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. For those who are standing in the front with me, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, as always, I never feel qualified in this moment, but I, I feel the calling of God to do this. There are fathers who step forward with their daughters. The weight of responsibility rests so heavy on them. I know all these fathers. I know their daughters. I know the love that they have for them. I know the the path that they've guided their children on. I know the hopes and dreams that they have for them and who they want to become one day. And so I'm praying for the fathers and I'm praying for the husbands who've come with their spouses. And they're saying, 
Lord, I want to do my best to support my partner. I want to support my daughter in becoming a busy bee, a Deborah. I pray, Father, that they will set a path for them of empowerment and not entitlement. That they will give their children the tools they need to navigate the toxic information and influence that has been thrown out there. That women are better than men and that women are less than men. That is toxic. And so I pray that they will lift them up and elevate them so that they can become women, wives one day that change the world for good. I want to pray for the wives who are standing here, who are saying, Lord, I'm working. Lord, I'm a stay-at-home. But I want to do my best. I want to contribute for the kingdom. I want to do something that honors God, honors my family, and elevates my community. It's not enough to have money in the bank. It's not enough to be a boss. You must become a servant. And so I pray for them. Whatever line of work they're doing, whatever career path they're on, whatever decisions they've made as a couple, I pray for the husbands that they would empower their wives, that they would lift them up as the queens without titles that they are, that they would every day before they leave home put a crown on her head. You are somebody. You are God's daughter. You are my daughter. You are my wife. You are my sister. I pray, Lord, even for those who have not come forward, I get it sometimes the, the urge to stand is there, but the desire just gets killed by awkwardness. And so I pray for the young ladies who have not come forward. I know it's their desire to make a difference. I know it's their desire to be heard and understood. It doesn't have to come with bitterness. It doesn't have to come with anger and emotionalism. It can be done through the Spirit of God. And so I'm praying for the church, for the guests in the building, that the women in the homes would not feel oppressed but empowered, that they would not abuse their men but would lift them up. And I pray that God would get the glory. Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. Now I pray that you may be above us to watch over us, that you would be beneath us to lift us up when we fall, that you would walk in front of us to guide us in the way, that you would walk behind us, that we would never, ever go astray, that you would walk by our side as a friend, that you would walk around us to protect us until the end. But above all things, that you would be in our hearts so that we may be like Jesus and become powerful men and powerful women working together for purpose and community. In your name, let everybody say amen. And amen. God bless you. Go forth. So I believe that that word did something in your heart and it spoke to you. And I just want to encourage you that you respond to it. Do not delay. God loves you more than he loves life itself and Jesus died to prove it and we as a ministry at Facts Alive believe that this is our mission we want to help you to know Jesus better and to know him more clearly and to love him more dearly the number is on the screen kindly text us kindly write to us or call us and we'll be more than happy to help you perhaps you need prayer you need encouragement you need counseling please also reach out we are available for you to help you and if the Lord has inspired you to give and to partner with us in ministry, 
The number is also on the screen and you can simply give whatever the Lord has put on your heart to work and partner with us. May God bless you and take care. I will see you very soon.